Have you ever seen a sinkhole? Cars can be parked on a street day after day and everything appears normal. Then one day the asphalt caves in and cars disappear into a gigantic hole. Everybody says that hole came out of nowhere, but they're wrong. The hole appears suddenly, but the process that led to it has gone on for many years. The underground erosion was invisible, but it was there all along. Sinkholes remind us of two things. First, something can look good on the outside when underneath major problems have been going on for years and a disaster is about to happen. And second, our lives are affected by little choices which have cumulative effects that can result in either moral strength or moral disaster. That's Randy Elkhorn from the cumulative effect of our little choices. And that made me think about uh, this, the law of sowing and reaping, right? You're probably familiar with this. There's been countless sermons preached on this simple little outline. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap later than you sow. I mean, those are the three basic laws of sowing and reaping. And uh, pretty basic stuff there, we understand that. The, the truth is, I was thinking this, that modern preaching loves really this, this issue or this idea, I should say, of sowing and reaping. Modern preaching loves it. And I think, not that it's not a true thing, it is, but I think it can easily be abused or misused by the church today. You can manip- manipulate people into, you know, giving more if you convince them of this law of sowing and reaping, right? That if you just sow in our ministry, then you'll reap a great harvest of return. And, and this is kind of tied back to that whole idea of the prosperity gospel right that God wants you to be healthy and he wants you to be wealthy and yeah that's God's will for your life in fact often it's tied back to this verse in John 10 10 right Uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly and today this verse can be really misapplied like Jesus came to give you the abundant life and that means he wants you to be wealthy Like, yeah, and if you just sow into our ministry or if you just give to God faithfully, then he'll make you wealthy and you will know the abundant life. You know, the most egregious thing about that to me when I think about that simple little reality there, the most egregious thing about that, well, well, it's this myth, right, that that the life of abundance is about what you sow. It's not. The life of abundance is not tied to what you sow. We're going to see that this morning. But what's most egregious about that to me is that how many people come to Christ because they've been out there searching and, and, and they've been chasing after worldly wealth and chasing after, you know, worldly pleasures and all of that. They've been chasing after that their whole life and, and they've left, been left unsatisfied and finally they come to the gospel and they come to Christ, right? And then they go to a church and says, yeah, didn't you know God wanted you to be wealthy? <laughs> That was God's goal for your life all along. You didn't need to come here. You mean you were already on the right path. No, that's not the way it works. And, and the truth is, if we sow, lots of times with the right heart and the right attitude, you might end up wealthy. If you follow God's uh, biblical plan for money, you might end up wealthy. But it's, there's no guarantee, and that should never be our ultimate desire or goal. But I thought about that. We're going to start a new series today called Fruitology. Fruitology. Now, I have to say, I don't think that's a real word. I actually found it online. A few, somebody wrote a book called Fruitology. I found a couple other uh, pastors, churches that did a sermon series called Fruitology. I thought, I like that word. I think I can use that word in a very powerful way. And we're going to do that for, throughout the summer here because I had this idea of talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Last summer, we went through Galatians, that summer road trip to freedom. And I thought, we should go back. It's been like almost 15 years since we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. Let's go back and deal with them, but in a more comprehensive way, talking about really fruitology. And here's how it's kind of defined, like a, in general, a biblical study of the theology of spiritual fruit. Like what is the theology behind me bearing spiritual fruit in my life and then in a more personal sense it's the biblical theology behind a spiritually fruitful life like just living a spiritually fruitful life what does it look like for me to live that personally and uh, we're going to talk about that today that today's message is the theology of a spiritually fruitful life big title and it's really not that complicated and don't let the theology word scare you it's just really how does the bible teach us that we can live a spiritually fruitful life so how about the again thinking about this this idea of fruitology being defined and really digging into the roots here we're going to get into the roots here a little bit and so here's some verses that just can help us set the table today james we saw this two weeks ago know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So there's something about God's word here that is implanted in us and uh, can save our soul. And what we're going to see today is that the word of God is like a seed that's planted in our life. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. So the implanted word can save us. Like the word of God can be implanted in me by the spirit. It's the power to save me. Here's a second verse. John says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Isn't that odd? That it gives the Bible a a, a personal pronoun of he because he is the logos. He is the living word. John uh, goes on and and says this uh, down in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Like the Bible that we know the word of God became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And so we have here the word really is, is likened to the Christ. Jesus is the living word. So this word that can be implanted in me like a seed is really the Christ. And Jesus is the living word. He is the logos as the scriptures tell us. Then one last Uh, passage here Hebrews chapter 4 for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the to the division of the soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart so God's word there again it's alive right Um, he goes on and no creature is hidden from his sight there again the word given a personal pronoun of his But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so the Christ is likened to the word, which we'll see today is actually a seed. Paul adds to it, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What a great verse. And this is one of those verses in the Bible that's fascinating that every, like literally every translation uses that word richly. There was one translation that said, said, um, said it like this where is that at one translation said let the word of christ dwell in you abundantly but every other translation like you know 20 30 translations all said richly and there is a richness to god's word it's a very it it's 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 just very rich when you take it in and when you let it sink into your heart and into your life it is very rewarding indeed. It will produce some very beautiful fruit. We're going to see that today. So here's what we're going to, I'm going to both tell you this morning and both show you this morning from Scripture, really. It's wrapped up in this big idea right here. Abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but what, is, what God sows into my life. Like abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but what God in turn sows into my life. And we'll under. We'll unpack that and it'll make a little more sense as we go forward. I was thinking today in the modern church where we approach the Bible often as a sort of self-help book, we can easily see the abundant life as my reaping what I sow. In fact, sowing and reaping as the world understands it is really nothing more than what? What's the, what's the world's word for sowing and reaping? Karma. Karma, yes, thank you. Karma. But here's the thing, karma does not take into account the gospel. It does not take into account God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. It does not take into account that God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness can can be actually fruit that is produced in my life and that I can give it away to others. The point being then is that we need to understand that sowing and reaping and fruit bearing is much more than mere karma. There's a spiritual reality to all of this that goes beyond how the world often views it. Let me give you one last foundational passage and we'll go to our main text. Galatians 6, listen to this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I was thinking this week, as much as the world loves the concept of sowing and reaping and, 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 and kind of manipulating people into giving a little more because, man, if you just sow a little more, you'll, you'll become a little wealthier and, and a little more blessed blessed and no more of the abundant life as much as the as much as the church today can love this concept the truth is there's not a lot of scriptures that talk about sowing and reaping there really are not that many 
And here's one. And what I found phenomenal about this passage we just read here, and, and, and you probably don't notice it at first glance, but what he does is Paul takes the issue of sowing and reaping and, and equates it to what goes on when we're saved. Now think about that, right? For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so there's something about sowing and reaping that we actually see this process work out when I'm saved. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we, we, we're witnessing to somebody, they, they need to get saved. What do we say? You need to give your life to Christ, right? I'm not saying that's not entirely true. There's a, a point where I willfully choose to be crucified with Christ and I'm buried and I'm raised again with him. But here's the reality. Salvation is not you giving your life to Christ. It is Christ giving his life to you. That's what saves you. Like I can say, Lord, here's my life. And God will say, well, okay, fine, but you need mine. I need to give you my life. I need to come alive in you and make you a new person. And that's really what salvation is. And that's kind of the process there when we think about this issue of sowing and reaping in salvation. How does that work out? Like, what's going on when I'm saved? Well, think about this. Before salvation, sin has been sowed into my spirit. I have become flesh. Like, through Adam, Adam's sin was sown into my very spirit. My spirit is dead to God. I'm born that way. I've got this sin nature. I have become flesh. Fleshly desires. That's the reality there and then after salvation christ has been sown into my spirit i am now a holy i'm not the holy spirit but i really am a holy pure sanctified set apart part spirit i'm now alive to god because christ was sown into my spirit that's salvation now and i know that there there, there is something about you know what i do with my life and how i expend my life and we'll get into that in this series of course but there's something here I think it's fascinating when he ties sowing and reaping to our salvation. Because how am I saved? Because I let Christ sow himself into me. Because I, because I recognize that, that sin had been sown into me and I'm like, okay, I need Christ to be sown into my life to make me a new, holy, and righteous person. And I yielded to that and I became a new and righteous person. I chose to believe and to receive. Abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but ultimately what God sows into my life. And we'll see what happens in salvation then happens as I live my life out, as I work out my salvation. There's something going on here that will be very helpful in understanding what it looks like to bear fruit. We will. And you know, if you go back again one more time to that, that passage, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. How do we not grow weary? How do we not give up? When we're, when we're trying to go out there and, you know, and serve others, it's when Christ is the one who's working through me. When Christ is my power, when Christ is the one who is sowing his seed into my life and empowering me, then I won't grow weary and then I will not give up. Okay, so here's our, our passage today. We're over in Matthew 13, a very iconic, memorable, memorable passage. Jesus talks about a sower goes out, sows some seed into three different people's lives or three different types, four different lives, four different types of soil, and uh, there's uh, an end result. But before we get into that, there's just something here because the, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, time out, Jesus. Like, he tells this parable, and then they're like, Jesus, why do you use parables? Like, why do you speak in parables? And so this is the question. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And, and uh, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, to, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing, they do not hear and they do not understand. So I will get back to this and, and tell you Jesus' answer there in a minute, explain it. But just a couple of things about parables. Like I was studying this week. Like a parable is, is a story to throw alongside of the truth. It's intended to teach something. And, and if you think about parables and how Jesus used them, some, one commentator said that they, they were stories that were told. You heard them. You had to process them very quickly. Like you, you, you didn't study this out. It's just you heard this story and you processed it very quickly in your heart and in your 
life. And they were very memorable, very relatable, like the, the parable today of the sower and the seed. He would, he would speak that to, to all the people and the people would relate. Oh, I know what sowing and reaping is. I, I know what the sower is and I know what the seed is and I, I know how that works. And they would understand, you know, really those three basic laws of sowing and reaping very well. So this is going on. These parables are then very practical. Very practical. Now, these parables then would have one main truth. And they were not really a source of deeper theology that you tore them apart and studied for deeper theology on the Trinity or, you know, different aspects of God. They had one main truth. Often it was a convicting truth. It would hit the hearer right here real hard and say, hey, you need to hear this. You need to deal with this. One main stabbing truth, as one commentator put it. I thought that was pretty powerful. And then these stories, this is how Jesus answered the, the disciples then. Why did he speak in parables? These stories that contain spiritual truth which required a genuine love for God to understand and just understand that. So God has come to the Jewish people. He's given them his promises. He's given them his law. He's given them his prophets. He's reached out to them. He said, this is who I am. He told them, I'm gonna send you a Messiah. I'm gonna send you a, a Messiah on, you know, basically 4 BC or whatever the date was, somewhere around there. I'm gonna send the Messiah at this time. He's gonna come. He gave them all of this. And the religious establishment, the leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, priests, they all had hard hearts toward God. They rejected him. And so he says, I spoke in parables so that you, you would have to have some sort of spiritual understanding. Like the spirit would have to be working in your life for you to comprehend these parables. And if you had a hard heart or a hard head towards me, you're not gonna get the parables. You're not. And so that's why the disciples would get the parables and these learned religious establishment people, they just didn't. About all they got was, you know what, he's insulting us and we don't know why or how, but we don't like it. <laughs> it's about it. Like they could tell. He's, he's saying something bad about us. I don't know what it is. But I don't like it. But they never really understood the heart of the parable again. So today, four responses to the truth. How does the word of Christ dwell in me richly, the implanted word that, that God wants to plant the seed of the word into my life? What does this look like? And I'm gonna apply this today back to you and me directly. Like this is written to the Jewish people. It's written to them and kind of has some, some, some pointing them to their future kingdom. But we can apply this because again, this has just one basic kind of stabbing truth that jumps out at us. It's just there for us to see this truth and we don't really have to dig into find really a lot of deeper theology in the passage. A sower, verses three and four, went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Now understand this, uh, about this, like the disciples could understand these parables and the religious leaders couldn't, but they still needed it explained. Like they still had to have Jesus explain it to them. So that, what that means is that even if Jesus explained this parable to the religious leaders, they'd be like, what's he talking about? Is he talking about us? You know, that's about it. And uh, so here's the, the parable starts here. And so Jesus then explains it in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what is sown along the Path And so four responses for us today, right? I need to cultivate an open heart. I need to cultivate an open heart when it comes to the word of God. When I read the word of God, read it with an open heart. Now, let me just say, we already have an advantage. See, this is where the theology, trying to dig into this for theology can get a little confusing. But we already have an advantage over those first century people who heard this live because God has done what? Made us a new creation. He's given us receptive hearts. He's given us hearts that are soft and tender and desire what he desires. So we already have an advantage over the people that Jesus is speaking this parable to after the cross. Which means in many ways, again, the battle is up here in our mind, right? That when it talks about an open heart, an open heart is less about the condition of my heart, but more about my attitude. Do I have an attitude where I will just open up this heart God has given me and receive what God has for me? Bottom line is, anytime I engage God's word, read God's word, I need to have an open heart. 
Like I need to say, God, what do you want to say to me? I'm excited. You're going to say something to me and it's going to be important. Whether it's reading something devotionally, whether it's in a Bible study with some other men or women, or whether it's sitting here listening to a sermon. Just come to church, say, God, you're going to say something to me today that I'm going to need for the week ahead and I'm open to hearing what you have to say. Now, the truth is, God has given us, as I said, the Christian already given you a receptive heart. Just know that. So you've already got the heart that just wants what God wants, is open to what God wants. So it's in your attitude to say, okay, this is who I am. I'm going to listen. Now, here's the truth. We can get defensive. Like this first soil is kind of like the defensive person. And we can get defensive with the truth. And this is especially seen when it comes to our initial salvation, right? Like before we're saved, someone can be very defensive like with the gospel. Like they put their defenses up. This is what the religious leaders did. Like this, this first seed really describes the religious leaders. They were like, yeah, their defenses were up. They did not want to hear the truth of the gospel. And so when he says here, the word here, when he talks about the word, really he's in many ways, the, the first application of this is simply the gospel, right? We're talking about the word being planted into us. Let me ask you this. If you meet someone who... Uh, ask spiritual questions and they they aren't saved they don't know christ where do you start in the in the bible you start with the gospel you you take them and you show them the gospel now you can approach it in many ways right you can you can approach it intellectually you can approach it emotionally judicially relationally there's all kinds of ways we're all wired differently so you can you can approach it and deal with someone's you know pain in their life and present the gospel or someone's intellect or build a relate whatever it takes but you can find that unique way to present the gospel to someone but often we'll be defensive at first and the word the seed always starts with the gospel so that Christ can then be sown into my life and I can get a receptive heart and then, oh, God can really go to work in my life. Now, the other thing that's important that I think is interesting here is how aggressive Satan attacks this seed, right? Like, like this seed, like he'll come in and swoop down and take this seed of the gospel away as quickly as he can because he does not want it to penetrate into someone's life. I think that's pretty interesting. Now, beyond salvation, though, the reality is we can become defensive. Even today, we have a receptive heart. But if our attitude's not right, we can close our heart up. We can become very defensive. There are three, like the fear issue. That's one, like maybe we just get afraid. We're reading the scriptures and we're just a little scared. Like maybe we feel, we sense God is saying, hey, I want you to do this or take up this ministry or I want you to sign up for this ministry or I want you to take a short-term missionary trip over here or something. And we're like, woo, or I need to witness to my friend at work and oh, and fear rises up and we become a little bit defensive. We become a little bit defensive. How about the anger issue? Like, right? Like maybe there's some pain in our life. Maybe we're reading the scriptures and we're reading about the incredible love of God and we're like, we're looking at our life and we're thinking, oh, wait a minute. Like I've been hurt time and time and time and maybe I'm a Christian, but I've been hurt time and time and time and time again and I'm like, God, I'm angry with you because you keep letting me get hurt as we read about God's love in scripture. And here's the sad reality is even for the one who doesn't know Christ, if they would just take the time to read and to study and to take the, the seed into their life, he can heal that hurt, the very thing that makes them hard towards God. He can heal that hurt. He can take away that pain. He can do an amazing work in our life if we just put our defenses down and we trust him. And then there's the pride issue, like how many people today would say, I don't need God. Or we, we face a situation and we're like, I can do this on my own right? I, we always got to go back. Ken's the classic one in church for this. Remember Ken always said, if I can't do it, it can't be done. That was Ken's line going back years ago. He always, he always told that story. But we're, we're, we're all like that in ways. Like, there's, I can handle this. I don't need you. And we do need God, and we need to recognize that we do need God. Look at this verse here. This is so encouraging from God to us. Isaiah 55, 10, for as the rain and snow comes down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread, the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If you just open up your heart, your receptive heart, if you open up your heart to God, if you don't know Christ and you'll, you'll just put your faith and trust and believe and receive today, and, and let him 
come into your life. Boy, God can do amazing things. And just know this, that God will be faithful to his word. If you receive his word with an open heart, God will be faithful to do something amazing in your life with it. That is the bottom line truth. God's word will always be faithful and accomplish what he wants it to if we just trust him. Today's big idea then, abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but what God sows into my life life verses five and six second part of the parable other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away what does that mean as for what was sown on rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So secondly, I need to allocate time to listen. I just need to allocate time to listen. When I pick up the word, when I read it, take the time to read it and take the time to really listen to what what I'm reading. Have that open heart and then listen. What is God trying to say to me? That is really true the point here's the thing there are all kinds of messages in the world today we're hearing all kinds of opinions all kinds of advertising thrown at us and so there's so much that is contrary to the truth so just listen to the truth and know that the truth is seldom popular today culture will challenge the truth at every corner so we just need to be willing to listen to the truth that god speaks into our life and know that it can produce a beautiful harvest within us a beautiful harvest now this is the person that that's kind of superficial or emotional we could say and they don't have these roots maybe because you read god's word and putting down roots takes a little too much work a little too much time so we read it and we just kind of but we don't really respond to it in a in a spiritual way more so we respond to it in an emotional way and the spiritual has to trump the emotional like it just can't be like some emotional response like those are really cool words they made me feel really good but they have to really get in and and help us build deep roots in our life just as it takes time to clear the rocks out of your garden unless you want a rock garden right you got to get the rocks out of the garden so that then when you put the seed down, it can actually grow and penetrate into the soil. And we need to look at our, our reading like that. It's not just like, I don't just check it off my list, but I read the word because I know God has something to say to me that will truly impact me. I don't know if you're ever like me. I, I have this seems like I have this more often than not. Like, I'm alone, I'm walking somewhere, I'm driving somewhere, talking to God. I'm like, Lord, I wish you would just have a conversation with me. I just wish you would verbally talk to me and answer this question or that question just out loud. Like, you know, God's like, I'm talking to you right here. I'm right here. (laughs) I'm talking to you all the time. Just listen. Just read and listen. I'm always talking to you. Everything you need. Isn't that how, isn't that profound how the Bible is? Like, it just speaks to all of our lives Everything we need is right in there. And uh, yeah, we don't need him to come down and have a verbal one-on-one conversation with us. That's not what we need. The spiritual then must trump the emotional. There's another parable that Jesus told one time about two brothers, right? And the dad asked the two brothers if they would do some work for him the next day. And the one brother said, oh, dad, I can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't make it. The other brother said, oh, I'll be there count on me i'll be there an hour early dad I'm, i'll be there for you and the next day the bro- one brother cleared things up in his schedule made the time showed up and said dad i was able to work things out i'm here to help you work today <clears throat> that's great except the other brother who said i'll be here didn't show up you know and the bible kind of says so which brother really pleased the father well of course the one who really followed through and the one who really came to work it's easy to make promises in, on the fly right but when there's not any follow-through, something is missing. It's kind of like Sunday morning. And I do love the comments. People come along sometimes and say, boy, you know, your messages, they really do encourage me during the week or they, 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 they carry me through the week or I hear them throughout the week. And that is so awesome. 
Because that is follow through. It's like what we hear here carries with us in our spirit and our soul throughout the week. God is working in our life. You know, you know, I was thinking Satan is not as opposed to our Sunday morning get-together as you may think. As long as he can make this an, an emotional response, that, that's fine by him. But when we make it a spiritual response and we start to put down roots and we start to, to, to apply this all across our life, what we're hearing, the truth we're hearing, yeah, then he has an issue. And it's kind of like it's easy to put our hands in the air sometimes, but do we have our feet on the ground? Like we can be up here worshiping, but are our feet grounded in the truth? And uh, yeah, that's what's really, what really, really, really matters. One thing this showed me too was this speaks to the necessity of roots, like how important roots are. It really is. The reason the emotions are so prevalent here is there's no roots in this soil and that's all it is. And when the emotion wears off, it's like you go to summer camp and I hope you kids don't have this experience, but I remember growing, you know, you sit around at the end of that week of summer camp and oh, I, we're crying and sobbing and I'm gonna live for Jesus and I'm so thankful for Ben and, and, and Jerry and Susie and you know, it's this great emotional response and then two weeks later, you're kind of back in your own pattern and routine because you're out of that environment and uh, not saying that you never put down roots in those environments but so much of that can be emotional put down some solid roots at camp this year really take it in let what you hear really change your life did you know that alfalfa is the primary hay primary hay crop grown in this country uh, alfalfa is actually called the father of herbs alfalfa roots grow as deep as 20 to 30 feet providing the plant with a rich source of nutrients not always found at the ground surface the fact is alfalfa can stand the heat that a lot of plants can't because it has really deep roots and so that's why we need it because we're going to be challenged in life we're going to be persecuted and tested in this world we need to have deep roots jeremiah 17 Seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Oh, I just, just love that. It's, it's not anxious. It's, it's not an anxious tree, but it's feasting off of the world it does not fear it is not anxious because as it faces the storms of life it feeds off the power of the one who feeds its roots here's the great irony it's like we need the truth right to grow the roots to withstand the attack on the truth because <laughs> right because the very thing we believe the truth and and the truth that builds these deep roots so that i can withstand the storms that will come at me from society and culture in the world, they will attack the very thing that are my roots. It's, a, it's an interesting irony. It's a great cycle there. So cling to the truth and put down the roots. So when the truth is attacked, you can stand strong. You can stand strong. Now, abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but what God sows into my life and how he builds those deep roots. Verse 7 other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew and choked them yet he, this is the explanation yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately he falls away immediately because he has no root in himself immediately as for what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the word and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruit so i need to eliminate unnecessary distractions i need to eliminate the unnecessary distractions and have you ever noticed in your yard how fast weeds grow like like you know your 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 grass seeds lord lay dormant all winter and then spring comes and they immediately pop up but so do the weeds just as quickly and they just overnight these weeds take off so I need to eliminate unnecessary distractions and sometimes in life we get preoccupied and uh, those weeds kind of take over our yard real quick. And uh, I put down some weed and feed earlier this year and was feeling really good and then three weeks later the weeds came back. It's like, I wasn't very good at weed and feed I don't think. But, uh, but here's the thing. Huh? I guess I didn't. 
I sprayed them again now and they're all shriveling up again. So they shriveled up the first time and you're right. You know, weeds are the weeds are a sign of our neglect. That's what weeds are. There's a sign of the neglect in our life, the things that I'm neglecting that I need to be aware, be, be, be aware of and take care of. Weeds are a sign of neglect. And as we said, weeds grow really, 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 really easy. But if you attack them, you can take care of them. You can eliminate them. There are three ways he mentions this in the passage, really three signs of neglect. One is this idea of weeds is the worries of this age, right? Worry can choke the life right out of you. Worry can stunt your spiritual growth. Worry can keep you from being obedient to God. The guy was running down through the hospital and uh, he was in quite a panic. And the receptionist saw him and said, what's the matter? He said, I heard my nurse say it's a very simple operation. Don't worry, I'm sure it'll be all right. (laughs) And she's like, that's okay. She's just trying to comfort you. Why Why would that scare you? He said, you don't get it. She wasn't talking to me. She was talking to my doctor. (laughs) So, (laughs) worry though. Yes, worry. Worry can get the best of us. It can. Also wealth, like the seduction of wealth. It's it's Solomon who said, the more money you have, the more you worry about your money and what you're going to do with it and how you're going to protect it and how you're going to grow it and who's going to get it. All those kinds of things. The reality is if you love money, you will only double your problems because when you love money, you spend your time worrying about your money. So worry, also wealth, and Jesus tells us, of course, you can't love both him and money at the same time. You gotta choose. Who do you really love? And then thirdly, pleasure. Like just the pleasures of this life, they can really, you know, the reality is sometimes good things in life can stun our spiritual growth if they draw us away from God, even good things. One of the best ways to fight weeds in your yard is not just to kill the weeds, but to feed the good seed, to feed your grass to grow stronger. Grass that in turn crowds out the weeds and not vice versa. In the end, we need to be aware that weeds are not the problem. They are merely a symptom or a sign of the neglect. Don't neglect your spiritual life. It takes time to grow deep, strong roots in a rich harvest that crowds out the weeds in your life. Don't fill your life with so many things that you can't focus on your spiritual life and spiritual life. I was thinking, you know, the crowded life, the preoccupied life is the uncommitted life or sometimes it is the overcommitted life. Just too many things going on in our life. And so weeds are a sign of neglect and weeds are a sign of our priorities. They just show us what really matters to us, right? Because there are certain areas in life where we won't let weeds grow. There are certain areas in life where no weeds are getting in here because this is really important to me. But other parts of our life, other parts of our yard, the weeds can grow pretty prevalently. And we just need to know that. We need to understand. And again, I was talking about using that weed and feed and weed and feed is wonderful right like it weed and feed does two things it feeds your grass so your grass grows at the same time it 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 puts down this weed killer that at the same time simultaneously kills off the kills off the um the weeds in your life at the same time it's like it's a pretty amazing little product and it often works quite well not always But here's the thing, God's word is kind of like that. Like God's word, as we take God's word in, it will feed the good soil, right? But at the same time, there's weed killer in there. There's there's stuffing God's word that will also kill off the weeds in my life and uh, redirect my focus where it needs to be. And part of the issue, I think, for a lot of Christians many times is when we approach God's word, are are we those that, well, I love the Psalms because they're so comforting. And I love those inspiration and devotional passages and I, I love those little, uh, you know, those little uh, five-minute devotionals you can get on, uh, on you know, these, uh, these little apps, you know, that you read two or three verses and they give you an encouraging word for the day and the reality is we need to read all of God's word, even the hard parts, even the challenging parts, even the parts that point out some of the stuff in our life that we maybe need to deal with, the parts that will also take the weeds out of our life. Don't just read all the encouraging stuff but read the part that will also attack the weeds growing in our life. Again, abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but what God sows into my life. Let the word richly dwell within me. And finally, we come to the last soil. Other seeds, 
fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's the explanation as for what was sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, excuse me, in another thirty. And so this is the last seed the last soil and i need to saturate my life with the seed just saturate your life with the seed however you can get the seed into you get it into you i mean yeah take the time to read it or listen to it if that works for you um if, if you if you drive a lot just you know listen to some inspirational teaching whatever it might be maybe it's maybe it's just through through the music we listen to however we can get the word into us saturate your life with the seed and i'm telling you the fruit that it will produce will be absolutely amazing um i didn't put this on the screen i don't let me jump ahead here i don't think i did i didn't put this on the screen but let me share this with you this is fascinating because this parable is told in in mark and in luke and in matthew and in each each book gives a unique kind of rendering of this verse here. Mark 4.20 says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So they accept it. It's like they welcome the truth. In Luke, it, it says this, as for, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So there's the, the, second, the, the second illustration he tells. Here, they hold it fast. Like, like, they hold, like, like they value it. They welcome it, and then they value it. And then that takes us to Matthew 13. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. In other words, contemplates it, like meditates on it till it makes sense to them. And so there's three things going on here with this seed that is the one that, that is really fruitful in our life, the, the fruitful seed we accept it, we welcome it, we hold it fast, we value it, and we understand it, we contemplate it till it makes sense and it produces. And the reality is that this person, the fruitful life, is the person who really honors God's word, treasures God's word, doesn't treat it lightly, but cherishes it. And this is the point of follow-through then as our life begins to produce fruit for God. As we talk about our soil samples this morning, this is what we ultimately have to get. These seeds that are planted into our life, these seeds that I cultivate the soil for, allocate time for, eliminate weeds for, these weeds, when they grow, produce something very valuable, right? So every seed planted in me is a potential blessing. Like every scripture I read that I just let it soak into my life is a potential blessing. It can kill off some weeds or it can grow some amazing fruit that I can then give away to others. It's, it's simply that beautiful of a reality. I think sometimes though, here's the danger. Don't be so focused on the cultivating, the allocating, the eliminating that you don't enjoy the fruit, right? Right? It's like I'm so busy, like, oh, I've just got to cultivate. I've just got to allocate. I've just got to eliminate. We spend our time doing that. And, and no, just let the Spirit do its work. Just read and, and have, have an attitude that understands those things. Read, but, but enjoy the fruit when it comes out. And it, it'll motivate you to produce more and more and more great fruit. And you're really not producing it, are you? It's the Holy Spirit that is producing it. You're just burying the fruit that the Holy Spirit will produce in your life. And then just remember this, really, that every seed planted in me is the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. It's like, yes, He is the one who has sown into my life. I've been given the Holy Spirit. Christ has been sown into my life. I have Christ Himself living in me, and this is the fruit of the Spirit of Christ in my life. And so the word here, really, think about this. As you, as you focus on this, as you plant this in your life, it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to produce some other fruits that we'll talk about next week. What are some of the fruits this produces in my life? It's pretty amazing when you stop and you think about it. What did we learn today? Abundant life is not found in what I sow with my life, but what God sows into my life. Because He sows into my life and then I produce the fruit that I can share with other people that can change the lives of other people. We learned today that salvation is not giving your life to Christ, but Christ giving his life to you, that he makes us alive. I need to cultivate an open heart, 
I need to allocate time to listen. I, I need to eliminate unnecessary distractions and I need to saturate my life with the seed. So let me close with this. Go back to that sinkhole story, right? Go back to sinkholes again. Think about this issue of sinkholes. And, you know, they, they, it's kind of like these sinkholes come out of nowhere, but they don't. Like they've been, something's been going on under the surface for a long time. And I think about what Paul said about don't grow weary. Don't give up when you're, when you're doing good works because over time, great things are going to happen. Your, your life is going to produce fruit as you just trust the Lord. I want you to listen to this story. I thought it was a really fascinating story. In 1912, medical missionary Dr. William Leslie went to live and minister to the tribal people in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. After 17 years, he returned to the U.S. a discouraged man, believing he failed to make an impact for Christ. He died nine years after his return. But in 2010, a team led by Eric Ramsey with Tom Cox World Ministries made a surprising discovery. They found a network of reproducing churches hidden like glittering diamonds in the dense jungle across the Kuilu River from Vanga, where Dr. Leslie was stationed. Based on his previous research, Ramsey thought that Yanzi in this remote area might have some exposure to the name of Jesus, but no real understanding of who he is. They were unprepared for their remarkable find. When we got there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Ramsey reports, each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that, he notes. They wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. They found a church in each of the eight villages that visited. they visited scattered across 34 miles. They also found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral that often got so crowded in the 1980s with many walking miles to attend that a church planning movement began in the surrounding villages. Apparently, Dr. Leslie traveled throughout this remote region teaching the Bible and promoting literacy. He also started the first organized educational system in these villages. Ramsey learned, Ramsey learned that he started that. For 17 years, Dr. Leslie fought tropical illnesses, charging buffaloes, armies of ants, and leopard-infested jungles to bring the gospel into a remote area. He died feeling like he had failed, but instead his faithfulness had courage, and courage left a powerful legacy of vital churches. And as God sowed into his life he went out he became the sower didn't he in this story he goes out and he sows into the lives of others because the seed had been sown into him and what a great testimony what what a great story and yet that's the reality we often don't know the impact our life has like that sinkhole in a negative way sometimes our life has positive impacts we're not even aware of simply because we let the word of god take root in us and produce fruit in us that impacts the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have included us in your uh, good work, that you've included us in your plans, that you plant yourself into us, you plant your word into us, that you grow and nurture seed that becomes fruit that we can give to others, that you give us a meaningful life. There are so many in the world today that are lost and are hopeless and wandering aimlessly looking for direction that can only be found in Christ. Only be found in Christ. You are the source of abundant life and that abundant life comes as you sow your life and your word into us and we simply let you do your work through us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.